So we will shift into today's scripture reading as we continue in the short series of emotionally healthy spirituality. It will be from Genesis chapter 50, verses 15 to 21, and I'll be reading from ESV version. When Joseph's brothers saw that their father was dead, they said, It may be that Joseph will hate us and pay us back for all the evil that we did to him. So they sent a message to Joseph saying, Your father gave this command before he died. Say to Joseph, please forgive the transgression of your brothers and their sin, because they did evil to you. And now please forgive the transgression of the servants of the God of your father. Joseph wept when they spoke to him. His brothers also came and fell down before him and said, Behold, we are your servants. But Joseph said to them, Do not fear, for am I in the place of God? As for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good to bring it about that many people should be kept alive as they are today. So do not fear. I will provide for you and your little ones. Thus he comfort, uh, comforted them and spoke kindly to them. This is the word of God. All right. Um, last week we started a new series uh, titled after a book, Emotionally Healthy Spirituality. And many of you guys probably have heard of the book or have read the book before. If you haven't, it's totally worth the read. I have had friends, pastor friends, that said this book changed the way they thought about life. So it's, it, it, it's one of those books that are really, really helpful for anybody, not just people in ministry. Uh, but the combination, right, this combination of the pace of the life that we live in currently, uh, especially the, sort of the city that we live in, Seoul, where it never sleeps, our relationship with the, with the digital world, whether that's social media, with our devices, or this prolonged season under COVID really put a strain not only on our physical health, right? Many of us gained COVID-15, uh, but also emotional health. In the U.S., I gave the statistics last week. In the U.S., uh, it, was, it used to be one out of 10 adults in U.S. have struggled in the area of mental health. Now it's four out of 10, probably even more because this, this was probably a year ago. And over several years, even before COVID, I've noticed during my pastoral uh, sitting down and counseling with not just you guys, but other people outside of the city, I've seen a huge uptick in people who are struggling with anxiety more than ever. I think anxiety has been just one of the common themes that I've seen in people that never struggle with mental health before. So I, th I thought as, as, you know, restrictions were prolonging and we're now in level four, I thought, hey, before we go into a, a book study, which we usually do, right? we rarely do topical study here, but a book study in Book of Philippians, we'll do that in a couple weeks. I thought we would spend about four weeks, three or four weeks, talking about emotional health. Uh, but I do want to warn you, like I warned last week, right? This is not a quick fix sermon series. This stuff takes hard work. Reflection, conversations with those whom you trust and love. And, and as you embark on this journey of looking to your past, looking to areas that, have been, that you have not touched for a long time because it's so painful and hard, things may get harder before it gets better. Because taking an inventory of our own lives is, is hard. Unpacking areas of pain and hurt is not easy. This is the reason why when you hear recording, voice recording of yourself, it makes you cringe. Most of us. If you like it, okay, that's, that's good for you. But for most of us, it's cringy to hear ourselves. 
And so, so preaching about this, right, taking 45 minutes on a Sunday to talk about this is part of what we want to do. But also we want to create a safe space where we can talk about some of these things we're struggling with. So as we launch a new season of community group, Pastor John and I have discussed having four, first four weeks talking about some of these things that, that we're going to be addressing here from pulpit. So sign up for small group. That's a wonderful reason to sign up community group. We're going we're gonna to create a safe space in this community to be able to talk about these things. And, and again, we will, we're going to be leaning heavily on a book written by a pastor, Peter Scazzaro, called Emotionally Healthy Spirituality. And in the book, in the opening pages of the book, he argues that Christianity without an integration of emotional health can be deadly to yourself, your relationship, and the people around you. Right? And if you actually read the, read the, read the book, it's, it's amazing because Pastor Peter, he's sharing from his own experience. He actually confesses in the book, for the first 17 years of his full-time ministry, he never understood why he had all these different issues that he was, he was dealing with. And he's like, everything clicked when I realized emotional health and spiritual health must go together. So it's really his journey. He's Italian-American. When I re read his book, I'm like, oh, Korean-American, Italian-American, very similar culture in some ways. And, and just sharing about his ministry and his stories, I'm like, wow, that's really insightful. So he's not just giving you theories as a professor. He's really someone who struggled through this and sort of said, hey, I got to get this out to people so that people would understand. But ignoring, right, Pastor Peter talks about this, and ignoring an emotional well-being is tremendously harmful, not only to ourselves, right? That's one thing. Yes, it's really harmful to ourselves. Eventually, it'll catch up with you. But it is harmful to those that we love, that those that we are in relationship with those that you work for or work with, those that you manage and oversee. Because the way we deal with relationship, the way we deal with conflict, it, it, it impacts other people. And what makes you and I humans unique from all other creatures, when we read Genesis, the creation account, is the fact that we humans, you and I, everyone in this room, even little Rafa, even little Desi, all of us are made in the very image of God. I talk about this a lot, the image of God, how important that is. And to be made in the image of God also means He has made you and I as a whole person. We're not just brains. We're not just physical body, right? He made us a whole person, physical, spiritual, emo emotional, intellectual, and social dimensions, and ignoring any of those aspects of who we are always results in destructive consequences in our relationship with God, with others, and with ourselves. So last week, we saw that. 1 Samuel 15, we were talking about the story of Israel's first king, King Saul. And we saw how emotionally unhealthy spirituality destroyed this man's life, right? He has such a promising beginning, right? His beginning and David's beginning are very similar. Humility, integrity. And he was a natural leader with tremendous gifts. Everyone thought, man, that guy's a leader. Yet, yet that was all wasted because of his unhealthy tendencies. So today we're going to be in Genesis 50. If you have your Bibles, open to Genesis 50. That's the first book of the Bible. And look at a story of a man named Joseph. If you grew up in the church... You know Joseph. Everybody loves naming their children Joseph. 
faithful, faithful men. And Joseph's life looks very different from King Saul, the man we talked about last week, right? Joseph did not have this amazing beginning. As a young man, he was sold off by his own brothers uh, to a foreign land, falsely accused of rape, put in prison for years and years. Yet at the end of his life, we see a man who has continued to walk with God through all the ups and downs and turns that he's faced. And that's Genesis 50. And in the book, Emotionally Healthy Spirituality, Pastor Peter spends a whole chapter on impact of family. And we're going to be talking about family and our emotional health. Um, and so through Joseph's life, he had a very complex family. We're going to look at, this is a conversation between Joseph and the brothers who sold him off and eventually found out Joseph was the second most powerful man in all of Egypt. This conversation so we're going to be looking at story of Joseph's life in chapter 50, and we're going to be t- talking about impact of family and just our journey. So I've been married for eight years now, celebrating eight, eight years soon. Uh, and marriage is a wonderful tool. It's a wonderful gift because you get to learn not so much about your spouse. You do that. But really, you get to learn so much about yourself, right? Because now you're living alone, doing everything alone, and then there's someone else who's doing things differently, and you're like, what is this person? Why would you do that, right? Like, you, you get to learn more about yourself. In fact, marriage will tell you a lot more about and show you a lot more about perspective about your own family and the way you've done things. Some of you guys grew up in a home where you would get in a car and nobody talks. That's just the way things were done. Nobody talked in the car. Some of you guys grew up in a, in a, in a home where you jumped in a car and everybody talked and no one, it was never silent, Right? But, but only through you know, getting close to someone that's very different from your culture, you see, oh, my, our family, that was, that was a little weird. That was a little different. We look back to our own journeys and we look back to the decisions our parents have made and we think, wow, that, that, that's a bit, that's bit in- interesting. Right? Um, so marriage will tell you a lot about not only your spouse, not only yourself, but the values and the principles of your family. And you have been deeply shaped. No matter how much you want to admit it or not, or recognize it or not, you have been, we all have been deeply impacted by the principles and values of our own family. Like simple things like how do you organize your space, or how you plan for a trip, uh, or, or more complicated things like how you view your finances, or your career. You see, these principles and values have again been deeply embedded into each of our lives. But our culture tells us, right, our culture through movies and books and music, that we need to be our own person, that we need to actually go on this journey to find ourselves, that we're not defined by some category or tradition, even people around us. Yet, Yet if we're really honest, if we really look at our own lives, we are all product of our past. And unless we are willing to acknowledge some of the things that we have been impacted by, good or bad, it'd be hard for us to move forward. In fact, how we deal with, you know, in fact, it would be tremendously hard for us to know who, who we truly are without this journey of reflecting back on just the way we grew up, just the dynamics of our family. And when the Bible uses the word family in the scripture, it refers to our entire extended family. It's not just about mom, dad, brother, sister. 
son, daughter. It's talking about extended family reaching third and fourth generation, right? Which means that includes, in a biblical sense, your brothers, sisters, uncles, aunts, grandparents, great-grandparents, and their siblings. And perhaps you come from a very dysfunctional family. And you vow to yourself, you will not be like them. You'll live differently. You're not going to make the decisions your parents made. Not always, but it is very common to see certain patterns from one generation to the next. If you actually, so I did premarital counseling. I'm doing one right now. And one of the the exercises I encourage couples to do is do a family tree. And it's actually really, really interesting how when you look at these family trees, you know family tree, you, you, you do generations, you kind of uh, write out characteristics, behaviors, maybe problems and issues like divorce or um, kid, kid out of wedlock, things like that. It's really, really interesting how there are so many common patterns from one generation to the next. Things like divorce, alcoholism, poor marriages, one child running off, mistrust, authority, mistrust of authority, pregnancy out of wedlock. I mean, there are repetitions. So that means a major part of pursuing emotional health. If we want to really be emotionally healthy, it is about going back to revisit the story of our own family. And be honest about how the story of your family has shaped your own story. But it is also, right, and and we do that, and that's hard, but we'll do that. But it is also about embracing God's choice for placing you into your family. That's hard, right? That's really hard. Because for many of us, we have been deeply scarred and hurt by our own family. God's original design of family has been marred by sin. Genesis 3, when you look at Genesis 3, when sin entered creation, when Adam and Eve took the fruit that that they were told not to take, one of the first things that was impacted was the family family relationships. Adam and Eve's first son, Cain, murders their second son, Abel, his younger brother, out of jealousy and envy. And that theme of brokenness in families carries on not only from Adam and Eve's family onto next generation, onto generation. And scripture is full of stories of broken homes. Sin patterns of lying, cheating, murder, jealousy being passed down from one generation to the next. But no family is perfect. I mean, you may, you may love your family. You may say, my family is an exception. Well, maybe, but no family is really perfect. That includes yours. That includes mine. My gen- my, we have three generation pastors in my family. We got a lot of drama. I can tell you we got a lot of drama. I mean, ministry, church planting, three generations of pastoral family. It's a lot of drama. Um, but here's a wonderful reminder about God. And this is a theme that's repeated throughout Scripture. And it's this, God does not waste our past. Our God does not waste our pain. He does not waste our grief. He does not waste our tears, our regrets, our failures. He will always bring something good and beautiful out of our brokenness and suffering. And not only for our sake, if you, if you walk through the story of Joseph, also for the sake of, 
of, of those that are around him. So Genesis 50, the story of Joseph. Joseph's family was, you know, to, to say the least, they were complicated, right? It was a blended family, 12 sons. That's a lot of boys. If you have three sons, you're like, man, I have no energy. 12 sons from four different mothers and one dad. All living under one roof, not to mention, if you know the story, Joseph's father was not shy. He did not try to hide about the fact that Joseph was his favorite. Gave him this beautiful coat. It was like, you, you, you're my favorite. Everybody, he's my favorite. Everyone knew that. And that sort of unhealthy past and family dynamics birthed an intense jealousy and hatred towards Joseph. Joseph's brothers hated him, wanted to murder him, looked, looked for opportunity every time they could get it to get, the, get rid of their, their younger brother. And, 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 and Joseph didn't help the situation. If you, if you read Genesis, because you know, a quarter of Genesis is the story of Joseph, he didn't help his situation because all of the, his father's love and affection went to his head and he was an arrogant, annoying little brother. I mean, one time he told all of his brothers, hey, one I had this dream and I was the greatest among all of us. Right? It was, and, and his father was like, dude, okay, that's, that's too much. You got you to gotta relax. So, so Joseph's brothers one day had enough of this annoying little brother and there was an opportunity to get rid of him. You know, there was this discussion, should we, should we kill him? Should we send him away? One brother convinced all the other brothers, hey, we can't, we can't kill our own brother. That's crazy. Let's send, him away. Let's send him away. So there was a merchant from Egypt, you know, making their way to Egypt. Joseph is sold off. You know, he is a favorite son of this huge family one day, and next day he is a slave in a foreign land. Uh, Joseph had to grow up quickly. No parents, no siblings being removed from his culture, his language, his freedom. And in Egypt, he was sold to a man named Potiphar. He was a generous man. He was, he, was, he was a decent man. And Joseph found favor in Potiphar's eyes and became like the household manager. And as things were looking up, he's falsely accused of rape by Potiphar's wife. He's a foreigner, a slave, a Jew, who's living in a foreign land, who's been accused of rape. There's no trial. He is just sent away to rot in jail. If anyone should have been angry or bitter or, or filled with rage, it should have been Joseph, right? Yet the writer of Genesis tells us that Joseph faithfully walked with God. And years later, God not only releases Joseph out of prison, but he becomes the most powerful man in all of Egypt next to Pharaoh. Right? This story, Pharaoh has this dream, no one can interpret it. Joseph does, and now Joseph is given, he's the project manager of this, this dream, and it's, it's this wonderful story. Then his life story, and if, if, it was, if it was like a movie, you, you think it'll end there, but it doesn't end there. The life story gets much more interesting if you read through Genesis. After many years pass, there is a great famine in his hometown. There's great famine all over that region. So Joseph's brothers are sent, to go to Egypt to look for food because they're about to starve. Only to run into their little brother who is now one of the most powerful men in all of Egypt. And also to their great surprise, that man, to their great surprise, Joseph shows mercy and brings the whole family to the land of Egypt and provides for them. Right? A few years later, when their, their father Jacob dies in the land of Egypt, Joseph's brothers once again become terrified of their little brother. 
and what he might do now that their father is dead, right? They think, oh, my, he, was, he was good to us because our father is alive. Now that our father is dead, what are we going to do? That's the context of the story that we are reading today. That's the context story that we're in today, the conversation. So I want to highlight three things. That was a long introduction, but I want to highlight three things quickly that Joseph models for us. If last week was what not to do from King Saul, today is really what Joseph does and a wonderful model that he is to us. So first thing he does in verse 15, he acknowledges his past. Everyone's acknowledging. Verse 15, having returned from burying their father Joseph, Joseph's brothers become anxious and, and sends him this letter. Hey, our father said before he died, take care of your brother, forgive them, for they sinned against you, yada, 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 right? They create this line. Uh, and verse 16, it says, Your father left these instructions before he died. I ask you to forgive your brother the sin, the wrongs they committed. And Joseph, reading this letter, reading these words, the author tells us Joseph begins to weep. Verse 16. Right? And the author of Genesis doesn't tell us the reason why Joseph was filled with this sense of grief. Right? Perhaps the letter was a reminder of a deeply painful season for Joseph. Maybe he thought about all those years spent as a slave. Perhaps it's just sheer grieving of, of losing a father that he finally found and now just to, to, to grieve of death of his father. Perhaps those tears are tears of deep sadness. Perhaps it's a combination of all those things. But this wasn't the first time we see Joseph weeping. Genesis 45, 12, when he was reunited with his brothers, he, he wept so loudly that everyone in the court heard Joseph cry. Grown man crying, right? In our culture, that's sort of... But, but there is something really healthy about Joseph and, and the way he's processing his emotions. In verse 20, he acknowledges that his, his brothers, what his brothers did was deeply painful. Verse 20, you intended to harm me. You, you intended to make my, my, my life miserable, and I, I was miserable. You see, what, one thing that Joseph doesn't do is he doesn't minimize his own pain. He doesn't try to rationalize what has been done to him. And that's not easy. If you think about the way we deal with our pain and struggles, someone did something wrong to you. You know, it is hard for us to acknowledge the things that has been done to us. One, because it's deeply painful. It's revisiting a very painful past. It's also shameful in some ways to admit that you've been hurt, that, that something was done to you. And it may, for some of us, it may feel like it's very unchristlike to point out something that people have done wrong. We shouldn't do that as Christians. No, that's not true. See, unless we bring these things, whatever you've experienced in your past, Unless we bring these things to light and acknowledge what has happened to us like Joseph is doing in our passage, what we're doing is we're going to continue to give those patterns of sin and experiences power and even control over your present and future life. So we, we, we got to be able to reflect and acknowledge the things that were done to us. For others of us, it's not so much facing a certain painful memory but it's about processing deeply embedded family values and principles that you grew up with. Pastor Peter in the book calls them the unwritten rules of the family. 
unwritten rules of the family. Some of you grew up in a home where money was viewed as the, the greatest source of security. Some of you grew up in a home where anger was the dominant emotion. Raising your voice, constant fighting was just normal. It was everyday activity. Some of us grew up in a home where you were told to avoid conflicts at all costs. Right? Keep the peace at all costs. Do not, do not ever argue, which is really unhealthy when you think about it. Unhealthy beliefs and values and principles about sex, relationships, attitudes towards different culture, success, feelings, and emotions has been handed down to you. Right? And these values and principles have taken a deep root in our own hearts. And, and often, those principles and values are in direct competition with the values and the, and the principles of the kingdom that Jesus wants to usher into your life. So in order for you and I to become healthier, again, we got to first acknowledge that there are uncertain things that we are carrying from our past. Second, we have to be intentional about bringing our pain and our past and unwritten rules of our family and submit them to Christ. We can't just simply think about and reflect on these things. We've got to bring it to Christ, right? Verse 19, look at, listen to Joseph's response. Am I in place of God? I am not in place of God. That's what Joseph's saying. Only a man who's processed what's happened in his own life, processed his pain, his hurt, his bitterness, and brought those things before God can respond the way Joseph did to his brothers. I mean, it's completely, totally unhealthy for his brothers to lie and create this lie, and Joseph responds in the most healthy way. Only a man who's processed his bitterness and pain and hurt can respond to his brothers the way he did. Last week, we talked a lot about the importance of reflecting, right? Importance of slowing down to reflect and process and it is tremendously helpful. I hope you guys did some of that, to be able to slow down and reflect. In fact, the practice of reflection and meditation has become very popular in our culture. If you look at these apps and if you look at these CEOs and people talk about meditation and reflection, it's a huge part of not just practice in church, but outside of church, it's become very, very popular. Here's what can be dangerous about practice of self-reflection and meditation if that's all we do, right? Many of these modern meditation practices are drawn from Eastern religious teachings. At the heart of many of these meditation practices, the salvation is not found in God, but it is actually found in ourselves. And the fundamental human problem, right? Many of these meditation practices, the fundamental human problem is not sin against holy God, but ignorance of our true condition. So unless we bring these things to the feet of cross and allow Jesus to renew and restore, reshape your true identity in Him, you may actually end up, you may do all the reflecting and meditating about your past and you may end up even in a darker place than you started. We've got to bring and not only acknowledge, but we've got to bring those things to Christ. And Joseph, right, his life is filled with devastating events. We talked about his life. At any of those moments of disappointment and letdowns, Joseph could have said, I'm done with God. I'm done with Yahweh. I'm done believing in, in, in Yahweh. 
and walk away from his commitment to God. Yet Joseph continued to walk with God even during his long years in, in, in prison cell because Joseph not only trusted God, but he brought his fears and pain and, and passed before God. Imagine how many days, how many moments of solitude that Joseph, ha- Joseph had to spend before God processing all that's happened to his life. And some of you, friends, some of you may be ready to walk out on God right now. All that you're experiencing, all that you've experienced. You may feel utterly disappointed with God. Upset at God. You may even be angry at God about things that has transpired in your life. You may be angry at God about the family that He has placed you in. The dynamics. I want to encourage you, do not let your anger push you away from God and His presence. Instead, let it challenge you to go to Him directly. If you read the book of Psalms, there are times David sounds like he's all but ready to walk out on God. David is angry, upset, sad. Yet what David does in the book of Psalms is he doesn't say, I'm, I'm done, God. That's, that's sort of Jonah. Jonah's like, I'm done. But, but David actually presses in. He allows those feelings of bitterness and anger, even questions, drive him to seek God even more. So friends, bring your raw emotions. Be honest about how you feel. Because God can handle your anger. God can, God can hear your lament and not be disappointed. God can see your tears and pain and He can relate. So we got to acknowledge and bring things to God. Third and final thing that Joseph models for us in our passage, he's recognizing the bigness of God. He's recognizing the bigness of God. Again, if anyone had rights to be angry and remain bitter, it was Joseph. And I do believe reading Joseph's story in these moments of weeping, intense weeping, I do believe it wasn't like Joseph was unaware of his own bitterness. I believe he, he had to deal, he had to walk through long and, and, and dark valleys of bitterness and anger, right? Um, Otherwise, you don't weep like Joseph does throughout his, his story. You don't weep. You weep when you're filled with pain and sorrow and even bitterness. This is a story of a man that had to walk through his own bitterness. It wasn't like Joseph didn't feel bitter at all. It was like, he wasn't like this perfect son who was never upset. Yet, Genesis 50, towards the end of his journey, we see a man who is not overtaken by these bitterness and anger, but someone who now has perspective, now that he has walked through it and he sees his life, he looks back to his life and he says, verse 20, you brothers, what you intended for evil, God intended for good. You see, looking back at his own story, Joseph is now able to see how God has used even his most painful seasons to bring good, the saving of many lives. And this is hard. It, it's, 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 it sounds Christian-y to say, you know what, God's going to bring good out of your pain. And I know this is hard for those of us, hard for us to hear, especially if you're going through something really difficult right now in your life. You know, look back in my journey, in my own seasons of darkness and pain and suffering, I had good friends that would come over, that would sit down with me, and they would say, Sangmin, God is training you. Sangmin, God is preparing you. And I would say, shut up. Like, I would just be like, stop talking. In my heart, because I was, I was in pain. 
And really, even though what they were saying was not untrue, it just didn't move me. It didn't do anything for my pain that I was feeling at that moment. And this morning, I I don't want to do that here. I recognize what you're going through is not simple. It's it's probably complex. And I don't want to sound like, oh yeah, just just move on because God's going to bring something good out of your life. No. God sees your pain. God knows. God hears your cries. God knows your frustration. So I don't want to do that. Um, and, And what I'm saying, the third point here, I won't take away the pain you feel today. Yet I do hope it does give you perspective because it's scripture. It's biblical. It's truth. And I do hope it gives you perspective because sometimes that's all we can handle. And that's all we need, perspective. So friends, whatever you're going through, God is going to bring good out of your situation. Whatever you've experienced, even in your family, even the most darkest thing that you've experienced, God is not going to waste it. Pastor Peter Scazzaro says, every mistake, every sin, detour we take in the journey of life is taken by God and becomes his gift for a future blessing. And I love what Joseph says. God intended for good. The word intended, I looked it up because, man, this is, this is, this is hard. The word intended is asab. And asab literally means in Hebrew to weave. I love that. That it's not God creating evil for your better future. That God is weaving our mistakes, our failures, sins of other people, sins of our own family to write this beautiful story. Weave. And God is weaving all of our past and present pain and suffering for good. Notice verse 20. Joseph doesn't say it was it was for my own good. Notice he doesn't say it was to make me the second most powerful man in all of Egypt. Although that could be true, and that is true. Joseph's focus is not on himself. Rather, it's about saving many lives. So friends, another truth that we can glean from Joseph's response in verse 20 is that God's concern and care doesn't stop with you or even with me. See, so much of what we hear in today's Christian culture is, is, is about me. It's about myself. It's about how I feel, how I want to sing to God, how I want to be transformed, how I want to be changed. So much of our faith today is about our healing, our health, our well-being, our calling. Yet scripture is always challenging you and I, right? Joseph's words, to look beyond ourselves, to really look at bigger portrait of what God is doing in and through our lives. What God is weaving, how God is weaving your story with someone else's story, with your story and your boss's story, with your story and your, your kid's story, how God is weaving these things out to bring good, not just for yourself, for the good of others. So part of recognizing the bigness of God is recognizing your, li- your life is not simply about you. No matter how much our culture wants to tell us your life is about yourself, the Bible does not say that. The Bible is not about your life. 
Your life in Christ isn't simply about you and I going to heaven. It isn't simply about our well-being. Although that is important to God, although God does care and God is concerned, yet God's vision for your life is far greater than what you may see and even desire. Did you hear that? Did you hear that? God's vision for your life is far greater than what you may see and even desire. He isn't simply concerned about you or your job or your career or your family or whatever you fill in the blank. But he's also concerned about your coworkers, even the ones you cannot stand your friends, even the ones you want to unfriend on Facebook, your family, even those that you do not know. And the wonderful news is that we have been invited in this work, in this redemptive work. So let me wrap up our time because I'm sweating. I've been sweating for like 30 minutes, guys. It's so hot. Um, Let me wrap up our time with the most important truth about Joseph and his role in all of Scripture. You see, Joseph is a wonderful model for us to follow, and the things he's done are really healthy and helpful. But that's not all he is here in Genesis 50. One of the most important roles that Joseph plays for us here in Genesis 50 is that he is showing us, he's foreshadowing Christ. All of what we talked about, Right? Reflecting, acknowledging, coming to God and seeing the bigness of God and caring for others. All of what we talked about today is only possible because this other man came. This other man that we know. We know of another man who was looked down by his own brothers. We know of another man who, who was sent to a foreign land. We know of another man of greater faithfulness and obedience. We know of another man who was falsely accused and illegally tried, abandoned and betrayed by even his closest friends. And even in his dying moment, while the crowd mocked and spat on his face, this man trusted himself unto the bigness of God the Father. Yet God the Father did not spare Jesus from the cross. And he did that for you and I, and that's the wonderful news of the gospel. And it's only through the gospel, it's only through Jesus' obedience and faithfulness we can acknowledge and face even the most painful seasons of our lives and not become undone. It's only through His obedience and His faithfulness we can continue to bring our pain and bitterness and anger and approach God confidently and He will not turn us away. And it's only through his obedience we can muster up courage to see, to perceive the bigger story that God is writing out through your life. Amen? Let me pray for us. Lord, we thank you for Genesis 50. We thank you for the story of of Joseph. Um, And Lord, thinking back to our past, dealing with stuff that, that we've been dealing with for years and years with our family. These are challenging things. And this is, there's no quick fix. There's no easy shortcut. So Lord, would you 
give us courage uh, to trust, to know that you want to do something new in us. Lord, we just pray for your mercy and your grace as, as we sift through our past, as we, um, uh, as we open the areas of our lives that we have closed up long, long time ago. We pray for healing, God. We pray for acknowledgement. We pray for revelation. We pray for uh, you to speak through uh, these times, God. If anyone is in a, in a deep season of pain, if anyone is ready to just walk out on their relationship with you, Lord, would you speak to them right now? Would you speak to them your, your love song? Would you remind them that you're going to make a way where there was no way? Would you remind them you hold all things together as we sang this morning? So we trust you, Lord. We thank you, Lord. Just let me pray. Amen.